working through this series. We just called it Catalyst, um, something that accelerates or, uh, a change or, or brings about a movement. Um, it's not a shortcut, but rather something that inspires movement or action to occur. That's the sciencey stuff behind it. But for us, we're looking for a catalyst, something that inspires us to have a movement to grow. And we've been looking at different catalytic things in the Scripture that kind of inspired movements to happen. Uh, we believe one of those things is prayer. We're not going to talk about prayer. We've just been doing prayer. Uh, today ended 21 days of prayer that we've been having. Uh, we've been sending out text messages. We hope that you've been praying along with those. We had, I think, a 38 or 40, somewhere in there, number of people who were receiving those. I can't, I can't pray for you. Uh, it's like the whole lead the horse to water. I can't make you drink. Uh, but, but it's there for you. We, just put, we, we give you the opportunities to, to have some guided prayer. So that's what that was all about. I'm thinking about doing something for Lent, uh, starting Ash Wednesdays for those 40 days uh, up to Easter as well. That would be a text-based thing um, to guide you in um, uh, disciplines at that time as well. Um, and then we had three prayer meetings, one a week for um, uh, the, that, that 21 days. And um, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings in my time. And these last two that we did, I wasn't there for the first one, the last two that I was a part of were my favorite ever. Like, there's something going on. Like, I, so I'm, I'm contemplating doing that again for Lent, um, and we would love for you to participate in that as well. We've got to see. I've got to see. You know, I don't want to commit to something I can't do. I, got, I just got a little bit busier <laughs> uh, recently, uh, so I'm worried about saying, let's do a whole bunch of Wednesdays in a row, because I'm, I'm afraid for myself. Um, at any rate, we're, we're setting the table. We're inviting you to come in, and we think prayer is a catalyst. But um, for our sermons, uh, Tim Walk came a couple weeks ago, um, and he talked about leaning into our identity. He talked about uh, King David, the, the David who became King David. Um, and God looks at your heart. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on your heart, your identity. If you lean into your identity, it's, 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 it's like a catalytic kind of thing. Um, the last week we talked about unity and diversity. Lean into your uniqueness. Um, you have a role to play. You are part of the body. You might be a pinky toe or you might be an earlobe. You might be an eyeball. You might whatever you are in the body. But if you lean into your uniqueness, it's part of what catalyzes the kingdom to move forward when we're all playing the thing that we're supposed to play in, a, in the role in the body. Today we're going to look at lean into your passions. Lean into the thing you're passionate about. We're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is uh, a man that lived in the Old Testament times, and there's a whole book of the Bible about the man Nehemiah, um, and it's written from first-person perspective as if Nehemiah wrote it himself. Um, so let me just give you a quick overview of what the context is of the history that's behind uh, the book of Nehemiah and when the man Nehemiah was around. So just go all the way back. There's, uh, you remember uh, uh, the Hebrew people enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. Moses comes, leads them out into the wilderness. They're no longer in slavery. And then Joshua comes and leads them into the promised land. And there they were led by a series of judges for generation after generation. And what would happen was sometimes the Hebrew people would do really good. And they would honor the covenant commitment they had with God. And then sometimes they would do really bad. And the judges would come in and help them steer the ship back to, you know, it's like, let's get on right track and be with God here. But eventually they wanted a king. 
They wanted to, to have, like, let's be like everybody else who has kings. We don't have judges. Everybody else has a king. We want a king, too. So God's like, all right, whatever. I don't think that's a good idea, but I'll give you what you want. So they get King Saul. They get King David. They get King Solomon. And then after that, everything goes haywire, and the kingdom splits. Um, there's a north and a south, an Israel and a Judah. And both kingdoms then end up making the same mistakes as their great-great-great-grandparents did with the judges, all right? Sometimes they would behave and do good. Sometimes they would do uh, bad, you know? They wouldn't follow the laws. And so God starts sending these prophets to come and say, look, look, if you don't straighten up, we're going to get you out of here. And that's exactly what happened eventually. The Assyrian Empire comes along and politically speaking, they just dominate the entire globe of what was known at the time. They just come and wipe it out. Um, and Israel and Judah get caught up in that. And what happens is, when Judah was overtaken and overthrown, they took all of the best and brightest, the wealthiest people, all back to Babylon. All right? You've probably heard uh, the name Babylon, that city. And you've heard of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, like, this is that time frame. Okay, so Nehemiah gets caught up in this, and he's in Babylon, and he's serving Artaxerxes, the king, and he's uh, a cupbearer is the name of it. It's like uh, the taste tester for the king, because in those days, if you wanted to, the king, the best way, easiest way to do it, poison his food, so they would have somebody that they really trusted to try the food first. Let's see if Nehemiah dies before the king eats it. <laughs> How would you like that job? It's a, not a great job, but it's, it shows how high up in the kingdom he was because they had to really trust him. Because what if Nehemiah taste tested the food, didn't kill me, but what if I dump a little bit of arsenic in there, whatever. I don't know they had that then. So that's the context of what's happening. Jerusalem is destroyed. Nehemiah is in Babylon, and he hears news from home. And he says, what's going on at home? Well, Jerusalem's destroyed. The walls have been broken. Um, uh, I think even the temple was down. Like, people were sick and dying. He just, he just hears this terrible news about home. And what we're going to see is this news stirs up a passion in him for him to go and do something. It's a catalyst. His passion, hearing this news, is a catalyst for his passion. So uh, let's, let's understand what a passion is. A passion is a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement either for something or about doing something. It's a feeling that inspires you to do something. It's a feeling that gets you to, to, to like, inspires you to go and, and act on that feeling. An enthusiasm or an excitement that leads you to doing. So we'll talk about ways to find your passion today. That's, what we're, that's kind of where I'm headed with this. But let me read the, the passage from Nehemiah. Here's Nehemiah chapter 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, all right, this is going to be important, all right? Kislev is like November, December, all right? So November, December time frame. In the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, oh, maybe it was in Susa, not Babylon, I apologize. 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. He's like, hey, how's it going back home? What have you heard? What do you know? Back home. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. They lived, but now they're having trouble. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was distraught by the news. He was brokenhearted. He, he, he couldn't even stand at the thought of his beloved city and the people having been destroyed with its walls broken and its gates down and burned. He was distraught. He was brokenhearted. You might say he was offended by it. It offended him deeply. Now you can tell sometimes your passion by what offends you. Your passion sometimes is, is dictated by what offends you. Now let me, bear with me for a second. So let's, let's talk about it. I'll ask you a series of questions and talk about what stirs you up? What breaks your heart? What keeps you up at night? What if you wrote down something that offends you and offends you deeply? Here's an example. Sometimes, I'm better now because I'm maturing in life, but sometimes in traffic, I get torched when somebody cuts me off. Deeply offended when somebody zips in and out and cuts me off and slams the brakes or whatever. Anybody else? Yeah, okay, you know I'm not alone here. Um, when somebody cuts me off, boom, I can get angry and offended. I don't like obstructions. I don't like people getting in my way. That's what offends me. Okay, I get offended by that. But what's the opposite of that? Obstruction, the opposite of that would be progression, right? Actually, I'm passionate about progression. I want to move forward. I want to keep going. I want to keep pushing through. I don't want anything to get in my way. I will keep pushing through, all right? I am passionate about that. Here's another one. When the girls were playing basketball, uh, Bethany and I would be sitting in the stands, usually with one of the kids because, you know, the other one was playing. Um, and Bethany would give me what we lovingly call now the elbow of accountability. <laughs> Some of you know what this is. It's this, you know, it's this, all right? The elbow of accountability only came out because of a bad call from the refs or some sort of egregious thing that would happen on the court that made it seem unfair. And so the elbow out of accountability would come out because I would highlight the fact that something egregious happened on the court and perhaps the refs needed notified by me that something egregious happened, perhaps even by them. The refs themselves needed informed because they were terrible. So I would get upset by that. I would make my offense publicly known so that everyone would know that I was upset by that. And then the elbow of accountability would come out and say, hey, simmer down there, bud. It's not that important. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So the offense to me was unfair calls. I want to see a level playing field for everybody. When there's something that's not fair, 
that, that not everybody's having equality in this or even equity in this, it deeply bothers me, not just when there's seventh grade girls playing basketball, but in life, I'm offended by that. Now, the offense for Bethany is that she wants people to behave in appropriate social norms. Her passion would be for proper behavior. So she was offended by what I would say, you know, give me the elbow accountability. And I'm like, no, that's even greater. You know, so you see how that goes. What offends us is what drives us and fuels us for our passion. What is the thing that offends you? What offends you, fuels you, gives you passion? For Nehemiah, it was two things. The people back home were in trouble and disgrace. The walls of the city were broken and the gates were burnt. He was offended by those things. This caused the, the people who were behind in Jerusalem to be exposed and vulnerable. They could suffer from an attack at any time. Now think about it this way. What if Newark, the city of Newark, was attacked, uh, all of our buildings destroyed, our roads destroyed, our schools destroyed. We don't have a city wall or anything like that, but 16, our bridges were destroyed. And, and all of us, because we are the best and brightest of Newark, what if all of us were carted off to New York City? We were carted off to New York City, and they're the ones who attacked us anyway. And then we get news. What's going on back home? Oh, my gosh, the people, they've returned, some of them. Those who are alive are hurting. They're hungry. They're broken. They're sick. The hospital's destroyed. And all of our roads are gone. How would that make you feel about your home? Would that stir up something in you? How would you respond? How could you do something for them? Would it even bother you that it happened at all? Would that would that would you be able to stand would it stir up a, a passion in you to do something about it? For Nehemiah, when he heard the news, he sat down and wept. His legs buckled. He couldn't even stand up because of it. It broke his heart. When was the last time your heart was broken for something other than romance? Of course we get our hearts broken romantically. That happens. But do our hearts break for the plight of people? Do our hearts break for our city? For the city of Newark? Do we have a passion for people to be elevated and lifted up right here in our hometown? When were you last brokenhearted for, for like non-romantic reasons, for something other than love, but a love for humanity, a love for systems, a love for what's fair and equal? One way to figure out what our passion is is to ask what offends you. What is it you're offended by? But it shouldn't just stop at being offended. A lot of people just stop there. They're offended, so they post on Facebook. That'll take care of it. Post on social media. Yeah, I'm angry. Okay, everybody's angry on social media. All right, let's continue the passage. Here's what Nehemiah did. He did something. The first thing he did actually was pray. Oh, we've been doing prayer for 21 days. Look at that. We pray about those things. It says this, and I said, O God of, he O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. He prays to God to listen, 
and to see what is happening with the city of Jerusalem and the people. And I think that's a pretty good idea. What if we asked God just to look and to listen? God, do you not see what's happening here? And God probably looks at us most of the time and says, have you seen it? Do you actually see what's going on here? And then he goes on, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that commanded your servant, Moses. He repents. He acknowledges his role in it. How often do we acknowledge our role in the the thing that we see, the destruction around us? He owns up to their responsibility for their own plight. He knows they had a role in it, and he's open to receiving that and take ownership of it. And repenting, he turns, by repenting, he turns away. He promises, I'm not going to go down that road again. And now he reminds God of the covenant. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts, are, though, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. It's like, remember, we are your people, and we'll come back to you now that we are scattered all over. And then verse 10, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in sight of this man. He kind of wraps it up as he began. Listen, God, listen to my words. Give me success with what I'm about to do. Our passions should drive us to pray. What are you willing to pray for? What what is your passion to pray for? And not just one time. Too often our prayers are like, well, this is what I'm concerned about today, but tomorrow's going to be something completely different. We just move right on. We don't have any perseverance in our prayer. We just don't care that deeply. Another way to learn your passion is to ask, what are you willing to persevere in prayer for for more than a day or a week or a month? What are you willing to persevere in prayer for? That might be a passion. But what if, what if that's all we did? What if, what if we just got offended by things and prayed for things and that was it? Like that's, that's the sum total of what we do. Like I'm so broken for the lost in our city, I'm going to pray that God sends someone to help our city? What if someone was so brokenhearted for people in crisis pregnancy that all they did was pray for women in crisis pregnancies and they never started heartbeats? What if someone was so brokenhearted for people in recovery, they prayed for God to send somebody to help with recovery, to bring redemption to people in recovery in our city, but they never started Powerline Ministries? What if someone was so brokenhearted for people who are hungry, they prayed that God would send somebody to feed them, but they never started the food pantry network? Prayer's great. I love prayer. I pray. Maybe not as often or as well as I should, but I do practice prayer. I think prayer works. Elmer Towns, one of my seminary professors who uh, helped start Liberty University with Jerry Falwell, he'd say this, It takes two wings to fly, prayer and a program. If you lack one, you'll always fly in circles. Just keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. 
the program, you may not have the power to actually do the thing you want to do that you think God's calling you to do. With a prayer, a program without prayer lacks power. Um, a prayer without a program lacks purpose. There's a lot of P's in there. I want to make sure I got them right. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Nehemiah didn't stop praying. Nehemiah leaned into his passion and he did something about it. Nehemiah chapter 2 records how his planning session went down. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you think he just prayed that one day and then it was over? Was that it? What do you think? You, know, you should know the answer. The point is perseverance in prayer. Did he do that? Did he pray? Did he pray with perseverance? Yes, he did. Okay. So here's, here's what happened. His knees-buckling experience and falling down and saying that prayer happened in the month, uh, month of Kislev, which is November, December, then at the beginning of chapter 2, it says it was the month of Nisan, which is March and April. He prayed for four months. For four months, his heart was broken and he prayed before he went to the king. And even then, Artaxerxes the king had to ask him what was wrong with him. He had to see what's, what's happening. He'd call him out. So here's what I'll say. Maybe here's another question. What are you willing to wait for? If you want to look for what your passion is, what are you willing to wait for? So King Artaxerxes sees him four months later, okay? Four months. He says, why does your face look so sad? You're not even sick. He's like, ew. <laughs> you look gross. <laughs> why? And so then Nehemiah starts to give him the elevator pitch. He's like, the walls to my city are broken. The doors are burnt. The people are unsafe. And so Artaxerxes just says, what do you need? Now, there's a whole long list of things, but basically, Nehemiah says the thing that we all say, I need time and money. I need time and money. I need to be able to go do this thing, and I need the resource to be able to get it done. And I would ask you, or I would suggest this, another way to find out what is your passion is this, what am I willing to ask for? What am I willing to ask for? Because sometimes we're too proud to ask somebody to help us, to ask for the resources that we need, to ask for the, the thing that would help us to take that next step. Are you willing to ask for help for this thing? Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and ask for help. So Artaxerxes supplies Nehemiah with letters, gives him safe passage to Jerusalem, gives him the appropriate supplies so they can rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah gets everything he needs, and because he has a passion for this project, he's prayed about it, he's waited a long time, and he's asked the right person for help. And Artaxerxes had everything at his disposal as king to make everything happen that Nehemiah wanted to make happen. With uh, Kingdom Dreams initiatives, we tell people all the time, you're one relationship away from breakthrough. You're one relationship away from breakthrough. That person has the right knowledge. That person has the right skill. That person has the right resources to help you get to that next step. Or maybe even that person has the next relationship that they could introduce you to the person that can bring you breakthrough. You just got to ask. You have to ask. Fast forwarding in the passage a little bit. So he gets to Jerusalem, he examines everything, they start working, and the enemies in the area start to take notice. They're like, wait a minute, they're fortifying the city again. This is not going to be easy anymore to attack this city. Um, so uh, Nehemiah figures out a defensive system 
where they're literally working with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. So that the workers themselves have to defend themselves. They didn't let the threat of pain stop them. They were willing to suffer for it. That's the next question to ask. What am I willing to suffer for? Are you willing to suffer for this passion? Are you willing to, to, to be more than just inconvenienced? Because I feel like our society, we just don't even want to be inconvenienced, let alone suffer. I recently heard that Red Oak Pub over there on 21st Street and Deo, what is Goose Pond, I think, over there, um, they closed their drive through window. And so now if you order takeout from Red Oak, you have to get out of your car and go in. And they've lost a ton of sales because of that. People will call in like, yeah, I would like to order blah, blah, blah. Okay, just to let you know, our takeout window is closed. You'll have to come in. Okay, never mind. We don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't have to get out of my car. Are you kidding me? No, I understand. Like little kids, you got to pack up the kids. I understand there's reasons sometimes. But that's an inconvenience. And it's not suffering. If you're passionate about something, you will be willing to suffer for it. And I like this last one, last lesson that we can learn from Nehemiah. What can you stay focused on? In chapter 6, we find Nehemiah's enemies wanting Nehemiah to come away from his work. They're really trying to trick him. They're like, hey, come out. Uh, they sent messengers, come out to the wilderness with us. Uh, we want to we just talk. <laughs> Let's just talk. Uh, they want to kill him, really, but um, I think his response is good on a couple levels. Here's verse 3 of chapter 6. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah stayed focused on the task at hand. He didn't let anything distract him. I think that's another thing that's difficult for us. It's hard to be passionate about something when we get distracted by something else. Like I find that, that I have to like put my phone in another room. I have to go focus mode on my computer so I can just focus in on computer. Otherwise, the text messages, Instagram, I get curious about. <clears throat> I will be distracted by all of these other things. I have to be focused. We're trying to find a catalyst a catalyst for our church, for our community, for ourselves individually, to take our next step in relationship with Jesus, to impact people, to create excitement, to expand a kingdom. And it happens when we lean into our identities. It happens when we find unity in our diversity. And it happens when we lean into our passions. And if you want to know what your passions are, I suggest you ask these questions. What offends you? What breaks your heart? What are you willing to pray for persistently? What are you willing to wait for? Can you even be patient for this thing? Is it worth waiting for? What are you willing to ask for? Can you humble yourself enough to just ask for help? And what can you stay focused on without being distracted? Most of the time, other opportunities are just distractions in disguise. It's not an opportunity. It's just taking you away from the thing that you said you were passionate about think about these things. This is how you can determine your passion, what you are passionate about. When our heart breaks for our community, when we see needs in our city, when we have a passion for people who are suffering, that's when we can be galvanized to bring real movement that changes lives and turns our cities upside down. If you want to help, if you want help determining what your passion is, 
Or maybe you've identified it already, but you don't know what to do next about it. Let's talk. I'd love to talk with you. Because we want to empower you as a church to live out your dreams and build the kingdom together with you. Let's pray. God, we all have different passions that you've given us, different ways that we can uh, impact the world and be a part of your kingdom right here in Newark. We ask, God, that you would find ways for us to create that impact and to... You know what? I think it's just sometimes we need to see it. Nehemiah prayed for you to see and hear his prayer. I pray for you to help us to see what's going on around in our community, in our world, and then break our hearts and stir up a passion for us so that we can catalyze the kingdom right here from this small building out into our city. We pray this in Jesus' name.